Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 10. And uh, the theme of this uh, section is apostolic joy, something I think we can all appreciate and long to have more of. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And the passage is uh, describing for us Paul's response to the return of Timothy, giving them news about how the Thessalonian church is doing. And he was extremely concerned about them, and we're going to see how the good news from Timothy affects his spirit and his heart and, uh, and gives him such great joy. So I'll begin reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, We were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. And may God bless the reading of His Word. So in this section, Paul now tells us how he responded to the news from Timothy. And in his response that he wrote about uh, in this section, he's uh, not only going to share his joy, but he's also going to talk about some of his goals of ministry and some of the methods of his ministry. And again, as I've already indicated, he's going to share what gives him such great joy. So I don't know what gives you joy today in your life, but I think we can compare that with what caused Paul to have such great joy. And I think it's going to be an encouragement for all of us to get our joy from the right places. So let's uh, kind of dive into this. There's a lot going on in this passage. The first thing we see in verse 6 is just uh, the reference to this good news, which ultimately gives us the indication of, of Paul's godly goals that he has in his missionary uh, ministry in building churches. Notice again verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news. Now what's interesting about this word good news is that this is the word that's normally translated gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. But this is the only place in the New Testament where it's actually used of someone just sharing good news. Normally, this is the gospel word. But Paul here is, um, is receiving this message from Timothy, and he's calling it good news because ultimately it's the result of the gospel, right, in their lives. And so he's going to rejoice greatly in it. But he says, Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and joy, faith and love. 
and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as also we long to see you. So the good news that Timothy brought back was that the Thessalonians had faith and love. They were strong in their faith and love, and they longed to see the apostles again. Faith probably is focusing mostly on their faith in God. Love could certainly be love for God, but probably love for one another. So Timothy brings back this report that, Paul, you've been really distressed and troubled, not knowing about how the Thessalonian church is doing since you had to leave so quickly and suddenly you weren't able to really ground the church as deeply as you wanted to. But now Timothy has come back and said, look, their faith is thriving, their love is growing, and they always think kindly of us, and they long to see us, even though we were kind of run out of town. They long for us to come back. So all of this, remember, is in the midst of persecutions that the church at Thessalonica was going through. Their faith in Jesus Christ had a cost to it. And they were suffering, they were being persecuted, they were being afflicted, but they still had faith and love. And they longed to spend time with the apostles again. And all of that is strong evidence to the Apostle Paul that they are genuinely born again. That their faith is real. It has survived the attacks of the enemy. So their faith and their love has triumphed over the persecution, the sufferings, the afflictions that they've had to endure. And we know that this kind of faith and love uh, certainly gives evidence of the new birth, and that's something that's going to give Paul great joy and and great thanksgiving in his heart. There are good news also from Timothy was also how much they longed to be with them again. Now again, they, Paul and Silas and Timothy were run out of town, basically. They couldn't return back. And yet all of the enemies were starting to, to close in on this young, fledgling church. They began to criticize the Apostle Paul. The Jews would have done that. Well, he's misinterpreting Scripture. The Gentiles were saying, well, look, he's trying to lead you astray. He's trying to bring in other gods. He's trying to mislead you and all these things. But Paul's joy in hearing that their faith and love is still strong, they long to see them, would have just been a tremendous blessing to his heart. The sweet bond of fellowship and love that they had not only for one another, but also for the apostles, Uh, was such an encouragement to Paul that they longed to be with him again, even though they're not able to at this point in time. What what we see in this verse also are the things that Paul always committed his energies to produce wherever he went preaching the gospel. He wanted God's blessing to build a church so that that church would be growing in faith and love. That's his philosophy of ministry, is to see in a church faith and love. 
And when we think about just missions and we think about a philosophy of ministry, we think about what should our goals be as a church. And there's many things you could say about that, but I think Paul would say that you're growing in faith and you're growing in love for one another. Faith and love. That's what he committed his life to see God use him to bring about in the lives of people. These are the godly goals of his ministry. And it's interesting, if you take those two nouns, faith and love, Paul combines them together in 25 different verses. I mean, this is important to the Apostle Paul, that the people he ministers to, what he longed for, what his goals were, is to see within them faith and love. This faith and love is something that uh, was vital to the Apostle Paul's ministry. Notice what he wrote to Timothy later on. He says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, Paul was telling Timothy, as you go about and minister at Ephesus or wherever else you may go, this is your goal of ministry. The goal is to instruct people to love one another, love God, of course, love one another, and to live out a sincere faith in your walk with the Lord. He also said later on to Timothy that the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Faith and love were were critical things in a successful growth of a church in the eyes of the Apostle Paul. Remember, he wrote earlier to the Thessalonians that he was constantly bearing in mind their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Faith and love. Sometimes added with hope, but faith and love. That's what he longed to see in the lives of the people that he ministered to. Later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, He'll say, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. But you need that breastplate of faith and love. In his second letter to the Thessalonians, he'll say this, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Faith and love. That's what he wanted to see in the local church. Growing faith and growing love for one another. To the church of Galatia that had its struggles in this area, he had to exhort them that what's important is faith working through love. That's what's vital in the life of any local church. To the church at Ephesus, he would write, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. I've heard your faith and your love, and that has given me great joy in you, he's writing. Later on in Ephesians 3, he'll say, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Again, faith and love. That's what he longed for in their lives. In chapter 6, he said, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the priority that he placed on love and faith. Those two things. So now back in verse 6, 
Paul is saying that Timothy brought us from you this good report of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. So the goals of this church should be to help produce and grow faith and love. Your personal goal in your sanctification should be to grow faith and grow love. But you say, well, what kind of faith? I mean, obviously these words need some definition or description. So when you talk about faith, if you look at some of the writings of the New Testament, you find that uh, this faith that Paul longs to see grow within the hearts of all these people has many different traits to it. It's obviously an exclusive faith. It's a faith in Jesus Christ alone as our salvation. It's a, it's a faith that's rooted exclusively in Christ to save us, not anybody else. It is a, also a, a faith that causes sinners to turn from their idols to the living God. Remember, that's what the Thessalonians had done in chapter 1, verse 10. They were idol worshipers, but now they're worshiping the true God through Jesus Christ. It's an exclusive faith. It's also a saving faith. It's a faith that is justified by faith alone, not by works. It's a sound faith. It's a faith that understands clearly the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of sin, the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, the shed blood necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a faith that understands the soundness of knowing that Christ is fully God and fully man, that He died and arose on the third day and ascended to heaven, and one day He's coming back. It needs to be a sound faith that understands and is committed to the basics of the gospel. It's also a sincere faith It comes from the heart. It's not a faith from the teeth outward. It's not a superficial faith. It's a faith that comes from the heart with conviction. It's a faith without hypocrisy or without pretending to be a Christian. It's a sincere faith. It's also a holy faith. We're set apart to worship a holy God. It's a faith that that makes us holy through imputed righteousness, but also through gradual, practical sanctification. It's an allotted faith because it's not a faith that we produce on our own. It's given to us by God. It's also an act of faith, for faith without works is dead. It's a growing faith. A faith that needs to always be growing. We never arrive. We never become perfect. We can never just rest. It's a faith that always continually needs to be growing and not become stagnant. It's a protecting faith. As Paul says in Ephesians 6, the shield of faith by which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's a joyful faith. Because they even received it in the midst of great affliction. It's a, it's, a, it's a faith that has joy in the eternal blessings of Christ, even though our temporal blessings may be taken from us. It's a persevering faith. Get caught up with my slides. It's a persevering faith. 
It's a faith that perseveres through the troubles and the trials of life. It's a fighting faith. Not that we become belligerent uh, with the gospel, but it's a, it's a kind of faith that, that fights like Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Standing up for gospel truth against the lies of Satan. So it's a fighting faith. It's also an assured faith. It's a faith, faith which has the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We are assured of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's an expectant faith. It's a faith that's waiting for the Lord's return and all the eternal glory that will one day come. This is a faith. This is a goal of the Apostle Paul, the faith that he longed to see in the churches that he helped to plant and the churches that needed this uh, great encouragement to grow in faith. But also, he had added love to that. See, our faith needs to be a loving faith. Remember, Paul told the Corinthian church that struggled with their love. He said, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. See, you can have faith, but if your faith doesn't also have love, it is a counterfeit faith. It's an intellectual thing that is not true saving faith. There must be love associated for faith for it to truly be saving faith. Paul also again told the Galatians that faith is working through love. The two are connected together. It's also a distinguishing love. As the Lord said in John 13, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. See, our love for one another is the public testimony to the world that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. How well are we doing? How convincing are we to the world that we really are followers of Christ as they look at our love for one another or lack of our love? It's also an exalted love. Paul says, But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's greater than faith and greater than hope. So it's an exalted love. It's also a superior love. In Colossians, Paul says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Beyond all these things. What things? In the context, he's talking about beyond compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. All these are wonderful attributes. But above all these things, put on love. Because it's the perfect bond of unity. This love should also be a forgiving love. As Peter reminds us, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We must be forgiving one another. Those who offend us, those who abuse us, true love is a forgiving love. And it should be a sacrificial love. John says we know love by this, that He, Christ, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, our love for one another should be a sacrificial love. 
Now that's convicting to the core. But see, what Paul longed to see, what his goal of ministry was, is to see faith and love growing together within the church. Again, that's why he told Timothy, this is our goal. This is the goal of our teaching. I want to see love and I want to see faith. And when he saw those things, oh man, he just overflowed with thanksgiving and joy to God. That's why I think Calvin summed it up so well when he said in these two words, faith and love, Paul comprehends briefly the entire sum of true piety. Faith and love. How strong is our faith? How strong is our love? That's what Paul aimed at. Those were the goals of his own ministry. Now, it's interesting because being that, that being his goal, his goal was not, therefore, size and numbers. His goal was not the numbers of people in the church or the size of their offering. Paul's not saying, man, I can't believe it. You, you Thessalonians, you've doubled in size in three months. I can't believe it. That was not his goal. Now, growth, obviously, we expect some growth by the grace of God, and, and growth is, is good in and of itself, but not at the expense of true biblical faith and love, which can oftentimes be watered down so that we put growth as the goal at the expense of truth and the gospel. And Paul would never, never agree to that. Again, growth is good. We want to see growth but not at the expense of truth. And sadly, many, many ministries have veered away from the goals of the Apostle Paul to see gospel faith and love growing in the people, and rather they get their sense of success in the ministry just based sheerly on numbers. For them, it's all about, as they say, nickels and noses. How much money is coming in? How many people are there? don't really care about their faith and love so much as do we have the numbers coming in and is the budget being satisfied? And many ministries today sadly have adopted that. But if numbers are your goal, you're going to fall into a hole. And to increase their numbers, if that is the goal of a ministry, means you have to court the world's favor, you have to promote the world's values, and remove the offense of the cross. You have to tailor your message to what the unchurched people want so they'll come into your church and feel comfortable. So you have to remove the offense of the cross and not preach the gospel because you might offend them and drive them away. And churches, sadly, have oftentimes moved in that direction. The church's message can easily become the world's message. Francis Schaeffer said many years ago, tell me what the world is saying today and I'll tell you what the church will be saying seven years from now. And sadly, it's a lot less time now that the church begins to parrot what is being taught and said in the world around us. A ministry with worldly goals like numbers and things like that will be a church committed to inclusive, pluralistic, gender-affirming, and sin-approving 
for all the cultural things that are going on. And they lose their identity as the bride of Christ and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when they do that. Now, we're to love people. We're to love sinners and take the gospel to them. But the message of the gospel is we're all sinners, including us. And we've all broken God's laws and we all deserve His judgment. But we must repent and believe in the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. And you can't build a church if you bury that for the sake of trying to be inclusive and pluralistic and just to accommodate more numbers within uh, the fellowship of the church. That is not Paul's goal. The goal of our church should be the goal of Paul in planting and building up his churches to promote gospel, faith, and love and to seek to honor him in all that we do. The church is to be in the world like a ship in the sea. But woe to that ship if the sea gets into it. John MacArthur once said that the only times the church has made any significant impact on the world are when the people of God have stood firm, refused to compromise, and boldly boldly proclaimed the truth despite the world's hostility. See, sometimes the gospel will drive people away. But it's the only thing that can truly save a soul. So it's interesting in verse 6 that the Apostle Paul is basically telling us what his goal of ministry is. And that is to promote by the grace of God a growing faith, a true faith and true love within the church. That's what he lived for. That's what he suffered for. That's what he longed to see within the churches. So he gets this report from Timothy that the church there, man, they're hanging, they're hanging strong in faith and love. They long to see us. Even though they're going through persecutions, the world has rejected them. Their values have changed. So they're no longer the world's values and the world is persecuting them because of that. And then in verse 7, Paul describes his comfort that he gets from Timothy's good news. He says, For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and affliction, we are comforted about you through your faith. And we're here, Paul is just saying, you know, we're, we have a lot of distress and affliction. We're going through it now. And what he refers to by his distress and affliction could include some of the things he's going through in Corinth. Remember, he's in Corinth when he's writing this letter to the Thessalonians. And it was tough ministering in Corinth. Um, it was a very sensual, idolatrous, sex-crazy kind of a culture in Corinth. And he eventually had been run out of the synagogue and the Jews rose up and arrested him and dragged him before Galileo, who was the proconsul of Achaia there in Corinth. They accused him of persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. And so he had his own trials and afflictions just there in Corinth. But his distress and affliction could also include the anxiety that he had about the church at Thessalonica because since they were run out of town he didn't know how they were faring were they being persuaded by his enemies 
Were they giving up their faith? Were they turning their back on Christ? He didn't know. He had distress. I think probably just concerned about how they were doing spiritually. So then Timothy brings this good news and he says, boy, we were comforted through your faith. When we heard that your faith was vibrant and alive, I mean, it renewed our strength. It was like a powerful tonic. And it just reminds me of just the benefit of, of good news at times. You know, we live in a world where there's a lot of bad news. I mean, turn on your TV. We're confronted with it all the time. I mean, it's just in every area of our society, it's bad news. And what we need is good news. We need to be encouraged by gospel good news, by the truths of God, by the eternal things that this world cannot change and cannot ruin. And it just reminds me of some of the Proverbs that talk about good news. Proverbs 15.30, Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. And that was a good thing. Good news does that. Proverbs 25, verse 25, Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. You know, if anything from this, we have good news to share, the good news of the gospel with unbelievers. We ought to pray for God to give us more opportunities to be bearers of good news. But also, just in our day-to-day life with our families, with our friends, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, be a bearer of good news. You know, a lot of times we just can get so sour thinking about all the bad things that are happening. But we need to be reminded of the good news, that Jesus Christ is still on His throne. I haven't seen Him leave that yet. He's still in control of the world that He created. There's a lot of good news. And when, when Paul heard this good news from Timothy, man, it was, a, it was a, a great encouragement to his own soul. He goes on to add, amazingly, in verse 8, he says, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. We really live. I mean, this is where I get the greatest joy in my life, Paul says, to hear of your faith and your love. That you're standing firm in the Lord and Jesus Christ. That you haven't abandoned your faith. You haven't apostatized. When you stand firm in, in the Lord, man, that's when I really come alive. This is when I really live. And it's just an incredible uh, testimony to the spiritual graces in, in Paul's heart. Again, I don't know how much joy you get and knowing that your brothers and sisters or maybe your children are standing firm in the Lord. I mean, we all struggle. We all have our ups and downs. But this was the joy of his heart. He said, man, I really live. I mean, I am alive now because you're standing strong in Christ. And every shepherd, every parent, every teacher, every pastor, elder, I mean, all across the board, we need to have a kind of a joy and a sense of enthusiasm in the grace that we see in the people whom we shepherd. Sometimes we don't see that. But God is a God who, who works when we don't see it. And He works in times where, that we're totally oblivious to. But for the Apostle Paul, when he saw them standing firm in the Lord, he said, let me tell you, 
I really live. And what he means by this is that I think it's just the idea that he experiences a fullness of life and joy, fulfillment in his ministry that alleviates his anxieties and his burdens as he sees God's grace active in their life. That's what gave him joy. Their standing firm in the Lord, their faith, their love, their longing to see them again. So that Paul's life, his joy, was tied to their walk in the Lord. That's what gave him his best life now. Now, Joel Osteen's version of that is quite different. For Joel Osteen, your best life now is how you need to enlarge your vision. And your vision is that God wants you and will make you successful. That will give you your best life now. He says you need to develop a healthy self-image that God sees you as strong and courageous. And you need to think of yourself in that same way. You need to think of yourself as a winner. And that will give you your best life now. Or he'll say, you should discover the power of your thoughts and words. And that will help you to realize your best life now. If you just believe it, it will happen. So tell your old thin and emaciated billfold you are fat and full with money. And tell your little beat-up car that needs a tune-up, you're a Lamborghini. And, and just say it and think it, and, and man, that will give you your best life now. What a counterfeit. What a false gospel. What a terrible way to view life. He quotes verses, takes them all out of context. What's your best life now is to see and rejoice in the grace of God making disciples and growing faith and love within the church. For the Apostle Paul, that gave him his best life now. And he rejoiced in it. And he's just exulting in the joy that he has to see what God is doing in their life. He goes on and he adds, uh, verse 9, his apostolic joy. What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? So he says he's full of thanksgiving, he's full of joy, and, and all of that is before our God. So he is giving thanks to God, he is rejoicing in God, and he's rejoicing and giving thanks before God. So all of that indicates that obviously Paul understands that the very things he is thanking God for, their, their faith, their love, their longing to renew their fellowship together is all from God. That's why he's thanking God for it. There's nothing here that uh, they can pat themselves on the back. There's no self-congratulations. Oh, yeah, look at how strong we're doing, Paul. You know, our faith, our love. Man, we're just really super Christian. No, he said, no, God. I thank God because God has given you that. It comes from God. And I have such joy and thankfulness to God in God's presence because of what God is doing in your hearts and lives. So he's giving all the glory to God. He's praising God that they're standing firm in the Lord. 
He also talks about uh, in this in his thanksgiving and joy over them, not only their faith and love, but just their longing to renew Christian fellowship. And I think this is something else we can learn from the Apostle Paul, is that he had great joy in the reunion and fellowship with his brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think we should learn to find great joy in fellowship with one another. We should find the joy not only in knowing that God's grace is causing us to persevere in faith and love through our trials and ups and downs of life, but also just find joy in our fellowship. And all of this joy and thanksgiving that comes from the Apostle Paul is ultimately the work of God through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in their presence. Remember, he has already indicated this several times, that that God has blessed the ministry of the Word, and it has borne fruit in their life. So Paul's joy and thanksgiving is, is tied to God blessing the Word. Remember, he's always said that in a couple of places back in chapter 1, verse 5. That our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy in the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, he said, you received the word of God from us, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And so what Paul is saying is my joy My thankfulness to God is that when we brought the Word of God and the Gospel to you, you received it as God's Word. And it transformed your life. So ultimately, his joy is in the Lord. His joy is that Christ is building his church through the proclaimed Word of God. And that's where Paul's heart was. And we should have the same joy. A joy in the ministry of the Word of God that produces changes by the grace of God to make us more godly committed disciples of Christ. That's where his joy was ultimately. Seeing their faith and joy. Seeing their desire for more fellowship. And then in verse 10, he says, and he really speaks to his own desires and methods. He says, we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So notice his desire is twofold. We want to see your face. We want to restore that fellowship, because fellowship is so vital. It's so important to a healthy Christian life. We need that interaction. We need that fellowship. So his desire, and he's praying to God that we can see your face, be with you, and then also that we can complete what is lacking in your faith. To accomplish those two desires, you see the importance of prayer. He says, we're praying night and day most earnestly that we may see your face. He wanted to get back there. He wanted to be among them. Because it's in the presence of that fellowship and time together that most of the blessings can be imparted to them from the Apostle Paul. You know, I think, again, we can glean from this just the importance of uh, Christian fellowship in our own midst today. 
As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We really need one another within the body of Christ. It's very easy to become kind of a lone ranger and be isolated, but, but we really need one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to love one another. We need to minister to one another. And so much of that you see in, in not only their longing to see Paul, but Paul's longing to see them. There's a love, there's a fellowship there that oftentimes is, is missing in our churches. But that fellowship is really vital for a healthy Christian life. The Proverbs say in chapter 13, verse 20, that he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's why we need to, to walk with wise men. We need to walk with the saints. We need to make them our best friends. We need to spend time with them so they can encourage us and we can encourage them. And they can admonish us and we can admonish them. And they can love us and vice versa. We need that fellowship within the body of Christ. And you see that was a longing of the Thessalonians' heart and also of Paul as well. Day and night, we're praying most earnestly. Why? Because we want to come back to Thessalonica. We want to see your face. We want to spend time with you. We love you. We want that fellowship with you. It was so important, so vital to the growth of the church. And then secondly, his desire was to complete what is lacking in your faith. What, his, what is his method to doing that? Was to come back and teach them more from the Word of God. That would have been the method. He wants to complete what is deficient in their faith. The word to complete here carries the idea to make whole, to supply what is deficit, to mend, to restore. It's used of fishermen that are mending their nets. It's used of a doctor setting a broken bone. So Paul says we want to come and complete. We want to come and restore. We want to come and make whole the deficiencies of your faith. So he's acknowledging that even though as a young church and their, their faith and love is alive, there's a long way to grow in those things. And he wants to come back and pick up where he left off, teaching them the Word of God so that their faith can continue to grow and prosper. So it would be to continue the ministry of the Word of God. He probably wanted to get back to Thessalonica so he could say to them, what he will later say to the elders at the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, when he says that, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So basically, he wanted to complete what was lacking in their faith by going back and continue to teaching, teach them the word of God. You know, that's how our faith grows. You know, all of us have deficiencies in our faith. I have many deficiencies in my faith. And one of the greatest means for making us complete or growing us to maturity is spending time in God's Word. Both in personal study, both in the public proclamation of the Scriptures, the Word of God is vital to complete the deficiencies in our faith. And you have deficiencies as well. But how does our faith grow? 
Well, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is truth. It's the Word of God. It's what we need. So that one of the most important methods of growing spiritually from the Apostle Paul is to be committed to the Word of God. And I hope you are. And if you're not, I hope that you'll seriously and deliberately think how you can increase your time in Scripture to help grow your faith because it's that important and it's that vital. So in wrapping this up, Paul's joy was in seeing of their faith and love and their longing for more fellowship, which basically means his joy ultimately was in Christ building his church because that was the result. Their faith, their love, their desire for fellowship, that is Christ building his church. And Paul so loved Christ that he loved his church and he rejoiced and delighted when they were growing in grace. So I think we should take from this that as Paul's joy ultimately was in Christ building his church, building up the saints of God, we should have a joy in that also. We can have many joys in this life. But you know, we ought to have a joy in seeing God's grace working in the lives of other people. We ought to go to God and thank God and just rejoice in God because that's God's doing and God's blessing in their life. Let us seek and pray that we too will be growing in faith and love. That we'll be committed to the Word of God, that vital instrument which is so important in, in enabling our faith to grow and our love to grow. And may we make a commitment and long to understand and know and spend time in the Word of God so that our faith and love can grow as well. Well, Christ is still building His church through His Word. And the Lord's Supper is another important part of our growing in faith and love. It's an opportunity for us to remember the Word of God. As Jesus said that when He inaugurated the the Lord's Supper, that this is My blood being shed for you in the New Covenant, and to do this in remembrance of Me. That's the Word of God. It tells us that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross as our substitute, bore our sins, paid the penalty by suffering the wrath of God, that whoever believes in Him might be saved. Whoever puts their faith in Christ can be forgiven. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's what really we're celebrating in the Lord's Supper. This is good news. It's good news primarily for the church because this is designed for us to remember the good news, to think about Christ's death and resurrection for our salvation, and to find joy in Christ and to rejoice in all that He did to save us from our sins. It's also good news for unbelievers, although unbelievers should not partake until you come to faith in Christ. But it's the good news of the proclamation that you have a Savior, and that if you turn from your sin, Jesus Christ will wash your slate clean. He'll remove the guilt and the punishment and the condemnation of all of your sins if you but turn from your sin and believe in Him. 
So that's the good news that is proclaimed. Believers, we get to share in it. Unbelievers, you need to heed it and respond to it. And we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know Christ, that the Lord would grant you that grace that you might repent and believe in Him and know the joy of having your sins forgiven and having a sovereign Savior, a shepherd, who loves you and will lead you all the days of your life. You must come to Him. Come to Him to be saved. And He promises He'll save you. Again, for believers, it's our joy now to turn our attention to the outward symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That we might be able to review what the Word of God teaches about the Gospel to remind ourselves of all that Christ has done and just to respond. We do this in remembrance of Him. We respond to Him in, in praise and thanksgiving and joy for the free gift of salvation that He's accomplished for us. So this is now our time to respond back to Him, to remember what the Word has taught us, to remember the cross and rejoice in Jesus Christ for what He's done. So before we break the bread, let's give thanks to the Lord.